I've been asking God for 24 hours to make me skinny like John. <laughs> it's not working. I can stare at salad and gain weight. Is anyone else like that? I hate skinny people. My wife, his family, they're all skinny. And I, uh, God took my metabolism when I was 22. He's holding it for me till I get to heaven. I talk funny. I'm not from here. Your accent is amazing, by the way. Like, Americans just stare at Brits. You ever notice these cheesy Christian films that Jesus is always British? Is he not? It's like, why is he British? Wasn't he Middle Eastern? We, we love being here. Um, I come to England quite often. This is my wife, Wendy. Will you stand up, babe? This is Wendy. For all of you single waiting for God to bring you your spouse, I can uh, give you hope and encouragement today. Because if Wendy will marry me, anyone has hope. Everyone has hope in here. <laughs> It's, it's, uh, it's fun to be here, and God is so real because what I'm going to talk about today, my passage was on the screen when I walked in, and uh, it was John 17, well, there it is right there, John 17, 3, and I just started laughing, and I said, well, maybe God's real. <laughs> if you ever would have told me that I would see blind eyes open, and walk in the prophetic, I would have not even known what that is. Because my story is an unlikely one. I hated God, and so I went to seminary. That makes sense. I think I went to seminary to try to figure out why he was so mean. I, I always wanted to please him. I just never could. I believe the most dangerous thing in the world is a misconception. The most dangerous thing on this earth, all seven continents, is a misconception. World wars have been fought over misconceptions. It's Satan's core value. It's what he loves the most. It's what he specializes in. He loves misconceptions. So what's the first thing that the Lord says when he shows up and begins his ministry? Repent. That word repent is metanoia, and it means change the way that you think. So the enemy specializes in being a liar. Jesus specializes in telling the... I wish I could make it more complicated. I just summarized the mission of Jesus Christ. So when you believe lies, you, can, you get in a lot of trouble. I believe that God hated me, that he was against me, that he regretted making me. Isn't it interesting some of the things we believe? I, um, I, I, I'm scared of two things on this earth, in this order. Snakes and my wife, okay? <laughs> I, I hate snakes. And in America, some people say, well, there's nothing wrong with the black snake. They eat the rats. No. No, Satan shows up in the garden as a snake if he'd have shown up as a llama, I'd hate llamas, but he was a snake. I hate snakes. I hate snakes so bad, I, I like can't breathe when I see one. 
And so when I saw this seven-foot snake in my garden, (laughs) I almost had what we call in the States a heart attack. I look at the snake, and the snake looks at me, and I, my spirit halfway leaves my body. I can't breathe. I can't think. I am, I'm terrified. Even, even my like uh, heartbeat changed. My son runs out, other kids run out. My wife and I, we have three kids. I can't remember their names, but they're awesome people. Um, (laughs) Sam is 15, Ruthie is 12, and Jack is nine. Uh, Jack is the one threatening to put me back on medication. Um, He's my wild one. Sam's probably more mature than I am, and Ruthie's just like her mama. She's never been wrong about anything in her life. I told Ruthie on a date night three weeks ago, I said, sweetie, I have one wife. I don't need two. She told me to turn my radio down twice. (laughs) Daddy turned it down. It's not appropriate. What 12-year-old uses the word appropriate? (laughs) So I rolled my windows down, turned it up so loud, she about had a panic attack, and I said, Ruthie, I've got one wife. I don't want two. (laughs) Kids come outside. Their friends come outside, and I am terrified. And the kids are picking up on my fear. And this thing is about, it's about, you know, the width of this, but seven, I don't know, six, seven feet long, and it's coiled up. Are there a lot of snakes in this area? No snakes in this area. We came here to visit to get in cool weather. What happened? I feel like I'm in Afghanistan last night. We're praying over people. I'm asking God, don't let me die. It is so hot here. It is always cold when I come here, always. It's crazy. I'm looking at this snake, and I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And i got to figure out what to do with this snake. And one of the kids says, Mr. Chad, why is the snake not moving? I don't know. Maybe the snake's scared of me. This goes on for 15 minutes. And, and you, you have to be a man at some point in your life. You, you've got to prove to your kids that you're tough. Because I'm over here like a little girl. I'm whining. And I'm noticing that this 11-year-old is starting to be a little more tough than I am. And so I'm like, this is my moment. If I lose my kids now, I'll never get them back. So I get closer to this snake. And I am wondering, while I'm having a panic attack, why is the snake not moving? And that's when... This kid that I didn't like, because he's a little smart aleck, says to me, I think that's Larry's fake snake. (laughs) This five-year-old little girl picks up a fake snake, rubber, shakes it, and all the kids look at me and laugh. I've got two published books on how to connect with God and hear Him. I lead a church in Greenville, South Carolina, and I was scared to death of a rubber fake snake. So I did the walk of shame back into my house. And as I reflect on that, I'm not so sure that's not how most of God's kids act. I think the enemy laughs at us because we're afraid of what's not even real. But I'm going to say something that will translate in America, Africa, England, doesn't matter where I'm at. 
In the kingdom, whatever you believe becomes your reality. 18 times Jesus says, let it be done to you, comma, as you have believed. So why does the Lord say when he begins his ministry, metanoia, repent. Jesus came not just to provide the atonement for our sins so we can go to heaven when we die. He came to show us truth. Him and, him and uh, Pilate really had an interesting conversation right before the crucifixion. Pilate's wanting to know what truth is. Jesus is the truth. One time behind a temple in John 8, they said, our father's Abraham. Jesus said, this is great. He, he is, in, in the States, we call him party poopers. Do you say that over here? Jesus said some things that really just took the air out of the room. They didn't know who he was, and the Jews kept saying, who is your father? Because they knew Joseph was his father. And he'd say, you don't know my father. I love this about the Lord. He loves to push buttons. He's always pushing buttons. You don't know my father. Who is your father? You don't know my father. Well, our father's Abraham. Wait for it. All right, so the Jews knew God as the great I am, right? Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He identified himself to the Jews as God, and that's when they picked up stones to kill him. Jesus, all he did, I, I, I have not read a book on this. I just read the scriptures for myself over and over and over. All Jesus did was speak truth into lies. I came here this morning just to speak for six or seven straight hours on <laughs> what lie are you believing currently? Because I'm telling you, you are believing a lie in your life. I promise you. Now, some people believe a lot of lies, and some people don't. Let me tell you my story, because I believe so many lies that at some point around the age of 30, my wife was very concerned for me, and I had a literal nervous breakdown. I was on three medications, Xanax, Zoloft, and Clonopin. Went through clinical depression, was on so much medication I was sedated, in the fetal position, I thought I was going to die. Now, 15, 16 years later, do you want to know what sent me into a nervous breakdown? I'm not kidding. I love to laugh a lot. I'm not joking. I believe so many lies. Because whatever you believe becomes your reality. I had a friend yesterday. He says, I don't know you well enough yet, but I want to give you a challenging word. His challenging word was replacing a lie I was believing with truth. Jesus is grace, but he's also truth. And if you focus so much on grace, 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 and you forget he's also truth, you can actually try to bond with the God that you don't think like. There's nothing more powerful on this earth than thinking the way the Father thinks towards you and everyone else. I'm, I'm, that's, that's good preaching. In America, that's, that's good preaching right there. You just want to, who's truth? Jesus is truth. Do you realize every time you see Jesus in the Gospels, every time you look at him, that is the Father in action. It's amazing. So let me tell you my story. My hero is my grandfather. He died when I was five years old of a heart attack. For the first five years of my life, he raised me. I thought he was the most amazing person I'd ever met. When he died, I wondered where he went. Someone said, he's in heaven. I think, what's heaven? I'm only five. And I began to believe that in that moment, God is the one who killed my grandfather because some elderly lady looked at me and said, God needed another flower in his garden, so he took your grandfather. Be careful what we tell kids. Our words are powerful. Don't do that. 
So from the age of five to the age of 30, I didn't know it, but I was actually on an odyssey to try to figure out why would God kill my grandfather? At the age of 30, my wife and I, we drive nine hours to Titusville, Florida. It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. It's in the middle of nowhere to meet with a counselor. I was so messed up. You know, sometimes you just get so desperate, you just need help. Some of the most powerful things you can ever do in your life is just to admit to someone around you, I need help. The leaders that my wife and I invest in, I invest in leaders that lead things all over the world, in the marketplace and in the church. Leaders are really bad at this. Sometimes a leader of something very large just needs to reach out for help when they're in trouble. So I reached out for help. We drive down to Titusville, Florida, and I meet with this man. He's a doctor. He's a counselor. He had his doctorate in counseling. I never saw this coming. My wife was eight months pregnant. That's how I feel most of the time. She was eight months pregnant. And in the middle of the counseling session, this doctor named Dr. Roger Baim said, Lord Jesus, is there anything you want to show, Chad? Now, this is about to get a little weird, okay? And I'm actually not weird. I, uh, I pretty much have three core values in my life. Burritos, five guys, and my wife, all right? I'm a very normal person. Very, I'm, so, but it's about to get a little weird. Roger Baim says, Lord Jesus, is there anything you want to show, Chad? And, and this Baptist at the time, who didn't believe in anything supernatural, never really knew what that stuff is, I have an open vision. Has anyone ever had a vision in here? I don't mean a faint vision. I mean, you ain't here anymore. It happened to Paul. I'm not here. The Lord Jesus walks up to me. There's two angels, one on each side. The Lord Jesus had on a tunic that probably looked like it cost about five pounds. About said dollars. He hugs me and he says, I'm your healer, trust me. I'm your healer, trust me. I have never before or since felt love like that in my life. My wife's sitting right beside me. His love knocks me out of my chair. It was not his power, by the way. It was his love. I have never felt tenderness like that in my life. Some of you will not remember my name by 3 p.m., but you will remember this story the rest of your life. Jesus Christ of Nazareth hugged me my life has never been the same. Within three to six months of having an encounter with Jesus and the love of Jesus Christ, within three to six months, I saw blind eyes open when I prayed for a woman named Gail. You want to know what happened after the encounter? It actually happened minutes after the encounter. When I came to and described what had happened to me, this is the first thought that I had. I am so wrong about the Father. I have been believing lies my entire life. Because Hebrew, Hebrews 1 says that Jesus and the Father are identical twins. When you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. I promise you, I don't know your story. You may be from here, you may be from somewhere else. You may be a transport from somewhere else. Every single person in this room, I promise you, you are on a search to connect with the Father. It, it, is, it draws you. Chesterton said that every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is searching for the Father. I never went out looking for signs and wonders, ever. I didn't even know what that was. I was at TV in London three weeks ago uh, uh, filming a, a television series with someone named Darren Wilson, and while I was prophesying over the leader of TBN, a white angelic feather fell in the natural realm. 
I've seen blue feathers fall. I've seen a feather fall in Gig Harbor, Washington a month ago when I was prophesying over a businessman. You, you have to understand, I never went after that stuff. I never went after healing. I never went after the prophetic. I just had an encounter with Jesus and I said, I've been believing lies my whole life because if Jesus is this nice, then that means his father's that nice. I was on a 25-year journey to try to figure out what was wrong with me. I had panic attacks, clinical depression. And unless you've ever had clinical depression, you can't imagine how dark and horrific it is. It just, it consumes you. It, it, it follows you. Some of, the, some of you, that's been your story. And after I had an encounter with Jesus, and I realized, wait a minute, the Father is nice. He sends me to Romans 2, 4. It's the kindness of the Father that leads man to repentance. And then Jesus shows me one time in the Gospels when he forgives the woman caught in the act of adultery. He says, Chad, that was my Father forgiving her. And I went on a, an odyssey of truth. I went on a journey to how much truth could I get in me. And I took note cards, hundreds of them. And I would write true scriptures out and start memorizing them. I never wanted to be a pastor. I'm the least religious pastor probably in our country. I never, I still don't think of myself as a pastor. I've always wanted to know God. I just thought he hated me. And when the lights came on and I realized he didn't, scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture showed me, you're nice and you're kind. My wife and I love the spirit, but we love the word too. Do you know that the word changed my life? It was one encounter that lasted five seconds, and I've been in the Word for the last 15 years. I myself discovered that 189 times Paul says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. 189 times? You know why he said it 189 times? Because all he ever wrote about is that when the Father looks at you, he sees you in Jesus. That's good news. I'm clean, I'm forgiven. Someone talked about it on stage this morning. I am righteous, I'm pure. John was talking about. I am pure. <clears throat> what was the word? Not regal, but what did John say? Dignity. When the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus. Wouldn't you know it that I came off medications? Wouldn't you know it that I went from being so weak, I was so insecure, that I became a person that I actually was starting to become strong? It was really awkward <coughs> for my wife to be married to a strong person. We didn't see it coming. You're not, you're not supposed to laugh at that part. <laughs> you know, God sees you as an overcomer. He'll put things in your life that you have to overcome and then he'll call you an overcomer. He sees you as strong. He sees you as worthy. He's tender towards you. Not only did he die for you, but he's interceding for you, preparing a place for you, pulling for you. He's for you. He's not against you. There is a liar in your life and he's trying to get you to believe lies. To the degree in which you believe truth, you will see fruit of breakthrough. The hinge verse for all of Paul's writings is Romans 12.3, Romans 12.1. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so here, here's where I want to anchor on before I start praying for people. Here's the million dollar question. What is eternal life? What is it? Uh, around the globe, 95% of God's kids think that eternal life is heaven. Satan's favorite verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Most of God's kids think that that means that when you die, you go to heaven. 
He is not talking about that in John chapter 3. That has nothing to do with going to heaven when you die. Eternal life is not going to heaven. Eternal life is connecting with the Father, and it's right here. Jesus says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. He's praying in John 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, that they may have intimacy with you, Father. The word know there in Greek was a Jewish idiom for intimacy inside the context of marriage. My fingers are swollen. I have no idea why, because it's so hot. I can't get my ring off that, and I ate too much food yesterday. But I was going to take this off. That word no is an is a image of this ring. As a kid, I start having panic attacks, and I have them all the way through the age of 30 because I, I was just disconnected. Who was I disconnected from? The Father. You're, you're down here to do two things, connect with him and to connect with each other. Sounds like the great commandment, right? You know what eternal life is? Jesus paying for your sins to take you to the Father. Jesus never talked about taking you into heaven when you die. We preach that all the time. He talks about taking you to the Father right now. I love that last song we sang about being restored to the love of God. Woo! I love this place. I have so many words for this church. This church is so unified, so pure, such a house of worship. I'll go there in a second. Some of you, you just need to believe that he loves you. I wrote a, a book five years ago called Signs, Wonders, and a Baptist Preacher. It's the story of my nervous breakdown, how I found God, and what he's done for me. I just wrote another book called Mama Jane's Secret. It's my grandmother's name. How to Walk in Friendship with God. My wife and I in the church that we lead, we're passionate about one thing. We got one word we're passionate about. One thing, friendship. I lead seminars on the prophetic. I don't even talk about prophetic. I just talk about friendship. Have any of you ever watched Darren Wilson's documentaries, Holy Ghost, Father of Lights, all those movies? I've been in a couple of those movies. I'm about to be in another one. A lot of people believe that, that I'm passionate about the supernatural. The only thing I'm passionate about the supernatural is the Father holds the supernatural in his hand. I don't even go after the stuff. I just go after the Father. And then stuff follows me. I, um, I could not have gotten a word from God for somebody if under any circumstance when I was 30. But yesterday, I don't know, eight hours of ministry, it was just profound how real God is. You want to know why I love the prophetic so much? When I say prophetic, it's just the ability to hear the Father's voice and deliver a word to someone with such accuracy. I, I don't even love it for the person. I'm still that kid that just wants to know the Father. Last night, I'm laying in bed of like, you're awesome. You're real. You are so real. Was it Augustine that says, my heart never finds rest until it finds rest in thee? There's not, why not go ahead and live from heaven right now? You want to know what heaven is to me? It's the Father's heart. There's so many passages that point to this idea that when Jesus ascended, we actually, if we agree with him and he becomes my Lord and Savior, I actually ascended with him. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since you have been raised in Christ, go ahead and set your heart and minds on things above. It's possible to live down here from there. I can get to such a place in the Father's heart that I can't see anything unless I see it through his eyes. I started laughing one day. God said, Chad, you've grown so much that now you're putting Satan in therapy in your own life. <laughs> I've been to more counseling than everyone in this room. Oh, my heavens. I can't go to any more counseling. I can't do it. I love counseling. I think it helps so many people, but I'm to the place now to where the more I dominate my mind on truth, I'm happy. I'm joyful. Sometimes in America, you know, we'll sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy done in my heart. Woo! 
down in my heart. People say all the time, why do you laugh so much? Um, I, I'm happy. Somebody came to the altar recently and said, well, you got to be careful, brother, because the joy of the Lord is not the same thing as happiness. I didn't say, I want, well, I did say it. I said, are you stupid? <laughs> you know the Lord's very joyful? So many people think of the Father like this. You go into the Father's presence and he says, hello, son or daughter. <laughs> I'm so angry. He loves you. <clears throat> I see people healed all over the place. I pray for them. You know what I pray most of the time? Father, love them. Isn't that deep? Isn't that so deep? I love the prophetic. I'll train people for 45 seconds and then make them get words of knowledge over people. Other people signed up for these nine-year courses on how to operate in the prophetic. You know what? If you fall in love with the Father, you open your heart to him. You'll go more in 10 days than other people do in 10 lifetimes. David Siemens is a prolific Christian counselor. He's written a bunch of books, and he says that in 34 years of professional pastoral counseling, he's noticed that all humans have the same two problems, the inability to receive love from the Father and an inability to give it away. You know who struggles with this message a lot is people who have been in church a lot. A lot of God's kids start off here and then the older they get, they think they have to please him on their own strength. I was reading the story a couple years ago on an airplane. This 89-year-old Scottish seminary professor. He was with his grandson. His grandson was grown old. This professor began to cry and cry. He's walking on the beach one of the two sunny days in Scotland a year. And he's walking on the beach, begins to cry and cry and cry. And his grandson said, Papa, what, what's wrong? And he said, I finally figured out. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. This man had taught at Yale, Harvard, books. And at the end of his life, he finally figured it out. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Read an article recently of an insane asylum in Singapore. You want to know how patients are beginning to get healed in this insane asylum? This is one of the best stories I've read in a long time. They were singing, Jesus loves me to them. One of the patients was so bad off, no one could be around them. Within 21 days of singing the song over and over and over and over, they noticed such a clinical change, the patient was released. Does that, not, does that not get your attention? He loves you. I want my wife to come here, and I want my wife in the last eight minutes to tell a story of, in my opinion, and our ministry together in 21 years, this is the most profound thing that I've seen Jesus do for us. It's a true story. We were on a retreat my wife has loved God her entire life. And this is what happened. And this is what I want to impart to this church today. Hello. 
I was about 23 years old. And like Chad said, I'd known God for 23 years. Grew up in a Christian home. My parents were very active in the church, which meant I was active in the church. By the time I was 12 years old, I had memorized tons of scripture, not because I was obligated to, but because I wanted to. At 12 years old, I started intentionally spending time with God every night before I went to bed, a quiet time, a devotion of sorts, praying. I started praying for Chad, not knowing his name, but I started praying for my husband, who would be my husband. And I would pray that he would be safe and I would pray that he would love God. I did that every night when I spent time with the Lord from the time I was 12 years old until the time I married him. And yet at 23, we've been married for about six months and Chad's now in seminary. And so we're doing all the right things that a good young Christian couple would do that wants to minister on the Lord's behalf for the rest of their lives. We are leading a ministry to college students. We probably had about 300 students because it was a large city with many, many universities. We go off on this retreat together and here I am trying to be a leader to these kids who are not much younger than I am. But yet I have all this experience with God. And we were singing a song in this simple worship service led by just a guitar and a singer next to the, the waves, the ocean. And there was such an unrest that came over me, a frustration and agitation that really began to consume me. And I left that service and decided to go and have a chit chat with the Lord because I was mad. Here I am singing for the 1800th time about God and about his love. And yet I felt like I knew so many facts about him. I dedicated my 23 years of life to him that something wasn't clicking. And I felt he owed me a conversation. And I went upstairs into the bunk area that I was sharing with about nine or 10 other young girls. Of course, none of them were in the room. These were exterior doors that led out to the ocean. So they were nice and heavy, really thick, large. So I pushed through the door, it slammed behind me and I go straight to the first bunk bed that I could find. And I knelt on my knees and I laid over the bed and not in a humble voice, but in an agitated and frustrated and dare I say angry voice, I engaged a conversation with God through tears and I said, I am so tired of knowing facts about you I'm so tired of being able to talk about you, to recount your stories, to retell them verbatim, just as the Word of God says, in detail. I know so many things about you. 
I've dedicated my life to you and I'm not going anywhere. I'm doing this forever but I need you to speak to me. I am tired of knowing the God who made, who, knowing about the God who made the waves and I want to know you. I want you to say whatever you wanna say to me. You can say whatever you need to say to me. And in the back of my mind, because I had read Job, I'm thinking, I need to brace myself. I don't know if y'all have read that story. Just for fun, you might wanna go back and read it. I mean, God actually said to Job, brace yourself. I have words for you, brace yourself. And then God goes on for like five chapters worth of words about who he is and who Job isn't. And so in my frustration, when I introduced this conversation that I wanted to have with God, I internally knew you might get yourself a conversation but you might need to brace yourself. But I was so desperate to hear from him. I was so desperate for him to prove his voice to me. And so I laid there over this bunk bed and, and naturally speaking, it was probably about you know, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, 65 minutes, but I, my mind would wander from time to time and I would say, nope, I'm, I'm sitting right here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. You can say whatever you wanna say to me. Another 60 seconds, I'm not going anywhere. You can say whatever you wanna to say to me. And then I thought at some time later, oh, service must be over, somebody's come in the room. You know how you just know some, you're, you're like intense, but you know somebody's come into the room. And I thought, no, Lord, I'm not moving. I don't care if the room fills up with people. I told you I am not moving until you speak to me. You can say whatever you wanna say. And just like that, I thought, I didn't hear that door open and close. That's a heavy door. And then a level of fear consumed me, holy fear. began to overwhelm me. And I thought, brace yourself. He's about to speak. And this presence just came closer, closer, and closer. And with every obvious closeness, I became more paralyzed. And now I'm regretting in that moment of asking God, requiring of God to speak to me. I never felt so small. And he comes closer, this presence comes closer and closer and closer and closer and I thought I was literally going to pass out when it got so close into my ear. And I thought, here it comes. He's gonna say whatever he wants to say to me. Out of all the words in the world that God would choose to say, 
when his voice and his presence was so overwhelming to me, he said, And just like that, every bit of paralysis and fear in me just succumbed with this presence. And all I knew to respond, all that I felt coming out of me was, I love you too, 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 I love you, I love you. And it was just that he stayed over me. But sometimes I think that those of us who have been in a relationship with God for a while, there's a lie that we believe that we need to just graduate on to other truths. There will never be a truth more powerful, more humbling, more lasting, more permanent, more life-changing than believing that this almighty, perfect one is Jehovah Roi, he's the God who sees. He has many names because he's big enough to have them. One of them is my favorite, Jehovah Roi, the God who sees. You're not just one of many. He sees you and he loves you. And out of all the words that he would want to say to you today, I am confident that those would be some of the first words he would choose to say. And any other word that would tell you differently is a lie from the one who hates God and the one who hates you. You know why the enemy hates you? Because God loves you. And he can't stand God. And he wants to completely deceive you from believing that God loves you. So I bless you in Jesus' name to have your eyes and your ears open to the love of God.